Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. It's supposed to be Christmas, except the federal government's decided to drop its response to the ACCC on the digital platforms inquiry. So with us today, we have a, another esteemed panel led by the formidable Mark Ritson. We also have Gayla Roy, the CEO at the IAB, and Christian Kroon, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Omnicom Media Group. Welcome all. So let's get straight into it. Mark Ritson, I'm going to start with you because clearly the government's had its say and you were earlier in the year, I think the words you said was the ACCC's uh, report was noble but futile or doomed to fail because of the size of the tech platforms and they're too big. You have had a, a scout over the, uh, the response from the federal government. What's your position now? Is there any more hope or are you still melancholic? No, I'm, I'm staying melancholic. If you really boil down what the government response is, I, mean, I know $26.9 million looks like, whoa, that's a big amount of money. But we know that unless it comes literally in the billions, it means nothing to the duopoly. And so in reality, yeah, I think it just confirms that this is a noble effort. It's going to lead to virtually no impact whatsoever. Um, not that that is a good thing, but I think that's the inevitable outcome here. You talked about that $26.9 million. That is a budget that the ACCC has got now to create a digital platforms branch. Uh, it will undertake specific inquiries across industry. And I think it's quite significant uh, that the first inquiry that the government has, uh, has green-lighted is an inquiry into ad tech services and, ad and advertising agencies. That's uh, quite significant. I think we'll talk about this in a minute. Media have been uh, also mixed in their response basically around this voluntary code, which is going to force the tech platforms to share revenue. The government sort of put it off until next year about looking into a voluntary code. Uh, News Corp and Seven have been slightly disappointed with that. Nine of are, are upbeat. We also have the ad tech inquiry, agency inquiry. We've got Christian Kroon and Gay here. We'll talk about that and Mark will have some fascinating stuff on that. But the other one, which is probably along with the ad tech inquiry, one of the broadest implications we'll see is on this change to privacy data and consumer protection. And the, and the government said, yes, we want to review the Privacy Act. Uh, we want to implement social media privacy reforms. And there's a whole bunch of stuff there that we'll, we'll get into. But first up, so there's Mark Ritson's uh, view. It's futile. Christian Kroon, your sense on whether this is actually going to have any material impact. What's your thoughts? Having read it, I don't think it will have a material impact on the duopoly. I kind of agree with Mark on that one. I think they'll be pleased, particularly with the prolonged time frame that's against a lot of the recommendations they're pretty nimble they'll be able to stay ahead was my my feel when i first read it i think for australian media companies they will be or should be somewhat disappointed versus the expectation they had from the ACCC at the beginning there's only one outlier there for me which is the media law reforms about who's allowed to buy who and who's allowed to merge with who we've seen nine in the last year become an enormous business that is able to better compete in the marketplace. And as those media reforms are watered down, we will get much bigger Australian business. You can argue whether that's a good or bad thing, but purely from an advertising perspective, that will allow them either individually or as groups to better defend or try and attack the duopoly's revenue growth. Galeroy, your sense, your top line uh, sense on all this? Look, short term, not much change. And I'll, I'll sort of focus on the, on the ad supported side of things and, and tech side of things. I think the intent with the ad tech inquiry is going to be great in terms of long term confidence in the market. 
I think for the next couple of years, it's going to add a bit of burden to all of us working in the industry in a tough time. But look, I look forward to sharing as an industry transparency around tech and services. Mark Retson, you've been itchy around this one, haven't you, for some for some years about the transparency in the supply chain. Uh, do you think this inquiry uh, into agencies and ad tech might uncover some things that will help clean the industry up, or is this another futile, uh, noble but futile effort? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, noble and futile. I think because the, the mistake we make in Australia is we tend to assume we have any form of influence over this industry industry at all. As I keep reminding everyone, we're about three quarters of Texas, not even the interesting part in terms of the the way we see the world. So the idea that we would have any heft at all here is nonsense. We've been through this murky uh, programmatic supply chain point in America in great detail a couple of years ago with various investigations which involved the FBI getting involved and the ANA. The end result of that was nothing. It was literally nothing. And if that's the sum total of the American ad industry's attempts to clean it up if it does need cleaning up or whatever they wanted to do with it, I think we can assume the same will happen in a much smaller, less important place like Australia. Christian Crone, should some holding companies and ad tech suppliers, vendors uh, be nervous or are you aligned with Mark on this? I disagree a little bit with Mark on this. I think will we impact Google or Facebook or the ad tech industry globally? No. But where I think there is a difference is the day-to-day interactions between agencies and uh, clients. There's been an enormous body of work that's, that's come about around ad tech, programmatic, what's your governance? And we've really leaned into that. We've been very vocal about it for a number of years. And I think that is a good thing. So it's not headline grabbing. It's not something you're going to see in the newspapers. But in terms of that workflow, clients have a much greater understanding of what goes on. They know to ask the right questions in our experience. And if you don't have the right answer, you're not going to win the business or retain the business. But but that's a different point, Christian, right? Sorry to jump in, but I totally agree with you. I, I think the government jumping in and trying to sort this out is is the wrong direction to your point smarter clients working with better providers you know market forces is probably the the way that we're going to get to a decent industry standard right yes uh, and i suppose to jumping around to answer paul's question will some people be nervous my gut is, yeah, I think some people will be nervous and should be nervous. And I'm going to come to Gay in a minute, but there is appetite from the ACCC to prosecute. So if you think about the ad tech stack and you think about how Google, for instance, dominates the tech stack in the trading of online, and, and basically, Christian, you can't buy YouTube now unless you go through uh, Google's own DSP. That, that changed a couple of years ago. It wasn't open. Others could plug in. There's there's a, a competition issue there. Now, the only thing I want to say is that I will ask is that if you've got something like where we see the case from uh, the ACCC on Google on the disclosure on geolocation data or the, the, the consent, the ACCC has taken a consumer protection angle on this, not a competition perspective uh, through, the, through the courts. And there's more teeth in that legislation uh, than there is in, in, in competition. So the ACCC is trying, Mark Ritson, I guess, is the is they've got some tools there. And if it's a competition issue around the tech stack, Google totally dominates that. Gay, your thoughts on that? Google is a board member too of the IAB, right? Uh, we have 140 members, so um, I'm hopefully very balanced in this. Wish you weren't. <laughs> um, so, look, yes, Google, you know, control a lot of this, the tech stack. I don't think that's, you know, any surprise to anyone. I agree. I think the consumer angles is very interesting and that's come through really strongly in the whole report in terms of trying to get a better understanding of that consumer um, consumer rights and I think that where the privacy recommendations in this report have gone 
um, were quite pleasing for me, sort of if we, we pull that consumer angle through. Um, and the language around trying to understand the burden on consumers a lot more um, has come through really strongly, which is very pleasing. So, Mark, the, the ACCC's intent on this in this Google litiga- litigation, does that not change anything, uh, I- I- any sort of outlook? No, I'm, I'm sorry to keep banging on about it. Look, there's only two ways you can have an impact on Google or Facebook, which is really what we're talking about. The first is to have been much smarter, more smart than anyone, I think, around at the time, to realise what was going to, maybe apart from the Chinese, work out what was going to happen 10 years ago and lay in place a, a model, a set of train tracks that would have controlled for this. That's obviously not happened. And now we are dependent upon what happens in Washington, D.C. And again, it's not a popular point of view when everyone's banging the drum in Australia today about the ACCC and Rod Sims and all that. It it, it makes no difference at all except what will happen in Washington, D.C. And to even, I'm not a political expert, but to even the amateur eye, it is clear that that is not a system that is going to make sizable changes to anything of any merit in the near future because it's so broken and bent over there right now, it's out of control. So I, I, I'm sorry it's such a boring and repetitive message, but the next 10 years, the 20s decade, will will carry on much like it's doing now. It may even tighten a little bit more. Let's see. I'm so sure we'll talk about that too. But, you know, I, I mean, Paul, I, I guess we should ask you. I mean, you've been very ebullient and full of life about it. So how do you feel now? Do you feel like you're... Is, is it coming? Is the, is the transition coming or are you starting to sway to my dark, gloomy point of view? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the, the pushback on and making some actual real action quickly is a sense of the government trying to hedge its bets a little bit and, and, and try and be consultative to the industry. So I would have liked to see more aggressive. Yes, you've got a point there. I do think, though, particularly in and around if this inquiry into the into the uh, ad tech uh, sector look and has a competition prism and they are genuinely wanting to apply some competition rules google has got some issues with its tech stack and the way that it trades in the market and how dominant it is so i hold out some hope still mark i think the most interesting bit where i think we will see some changes around privacy and the changes to the, the proposed changes to the privacy act and the implications not necessarily for the duopoly but actually for every marketer in the country and every and, and how everyone trades data tracks can gets consent and analyzes if they are wanting to change this so the government in this in this report has said that they agree with a review of the privacy act they review uh, they support in principle an update to the definition of of personal information which then means that geolocation data device ids ip addresses all become part of personal information and therefore you have to get consent to do a whole thing a whole lot of things you want to do those implications in trading data in the market which we know now user personal uh, consumer information is a big big trading uh, aspect of, of of the, of the marketing industry, that I think will have significant change. Now, I am just a ranter. Gay, is there some significant changes there if the privacy stuff happens? If it happens, we've got a fairly long timeline there. Um, and there's still some confusion in the language, I think, in the report around starting with social platforms, then the language is digital platforms, and then there's reference to economy-wide um, reform. So I think a lot of that still needs to be cleared. Um we we do. I mean, it's it's good and bad you know, in terms of the timing. Um, C did go out very early saying they were going to be leaders in this. We now have a bit more time to learn of what's come out of GDPR. We'll have CCPA in market plus a myriad of other countries. So we'll actually be able to see what the impact in terms of um, consolidation or not comes out of privacy, um, as well as how consumers are um, able to access services. So I... 
the, the long timeline is going to be um, onerous on the industry, but um, hopefully we'll set up a system that will be better for both sides of the market. Christian, privacy implications for the broader market? To date, looking globally, whenever there's been greater regulation, legislation around privacy and consumer data, the only people who've walked away winners are uh, the big global platforms, which for us, is there's two of them, but Amazon's another one. Just as Australian businesses are moving into that space, media businesses and starting to get some traction or clients are building their own data so they're not dependent on big global platforms, regulation might come and have the unintended consequence of damaging that. And to your point, if you happen to be the gatekeeper through the uh, platforms, then you get to decide how things are implemented. Um, So I'm... Does that specifically damage platforms? Is that going to be a big worry? I don't think so. And and that that's a challenge for everyone. The only thing I'd say on that, though, is the ACCC, let's look at the inquiry it's got in going into loyalty platforms. Now, what the ACCC is doing is certainly surfacing stuff that the broader industry, the economy, has not been aware of what goes on. That loyalty program stuff, I was at, at somewhere last night talking to some people around this, and you know, even the big companies that have got loyalty programs, they are sitting there going, hell, what are we going to do about this? There's some genuine concern about, about the uh, investigations the ACCC is having. And, and Rod Sims said, most people would not know that your banking data is going across, is being traded in the market beyond the bank and no one knows it. There's all sorts of companies buying that stuff and, and, and making correlations and, and bringing pieces of different data sets together. That, he says, is not good enough in terms of the understanding and so he wants to make a push. I think that there's the, the, we've seen the appetite, at least in the ACCC, to do stuff. So I'm still holding hope, Mark Ritson. Christian's point's a really good one there, right? It, the irony or maybe the deliberation of this is if you look, for example, at um, what should be happening now with the accessible direct TV and uh, BVOD and everything else, it really is uh, you know, a proper revolution. Uh, yet the big problem I fear is our free-to-air channels just don't have the data to slice and dice the audience uh, as our friends in the duopoly do. And so Christian's point's a key one for them in the sense that it could well be at the very time where this new avenue for wonderful direct TV advertising opens up, they'll be stymied by the fact that legislation now prevents them from being able to get to buy in that data which would enable them, enable them to slice and dice the user base. Fair observation, Christian? Uh, yes, uh, and I think that, that's the challenge. Google's ad tech's fantastic, right? And that's one of the reasons it dominates the market, with good reason. Um, the challenge is they've been so good, they've ended up in so many different places, and that's the challenge. If you bring the different C pieces together, so ad tech investigation and data... You have to look at both together, not separately, if you're going to get an outcome that's going to work. We're also training consumers to be really wary without telling them the value exchange clearly, um, where there is a strong value exchange. And I think in California, having this um, very explicit, even though it's an opt-out system, but a big red button that basically says, do not sell my data, um, without clearly having that sort of understanding of what it might serve, um, is going to train consumers everywhere just to opt out. Just just to be clear for the punters in Australia, including myself, you, you're saying that in California there is now a big red button that just – it's an opt. It's an opt out, but the, but the language around it is in consumer language, which is great, but it's a very tempting, you know, opt out, do not sell my personal data. Um, we need to, as an industry, be very clear on the relationship between the consumer and the business – on what that value exchange is. Consumers don't really get any of this. They haven't, I mean, most marketers don't, for goodness sake. So consumers, to explain to them really what's going on and how their information is being traded and why things aren't free and, you know, 
frankly, it's beyond even most MBA students, never mind, you know, very intelligent, but not very interested in this topic, Australians. So I think, yeah, the, the problem we've always got is they don't really understand what they just want to find out what their friends are doing. And this whole other conversation is super boring to them and not something they really even want to spend time trying to understand. So I think that's where it always falls afoul is consumers just want to get, they've got more important stuff than this, even though it is an important topic. Well, this is what the academics, I think one of your uh, former colleagues, uh, Professor Caron Beaton-Wells at Melbourne University's Law School, talks about the privacy paradox, and academics talk about the privacy paradox, which is essentially that people actually, industry thinks, oh, people, are, uh, consumers are okay with their data being used. In fact, they want the services, but they're also equally concerned about it, but they, to your point, Mark, they won't do anything about it. So they're, they're, this is where I think the ACCC is trying to take uh, the consumer angle on it and, and prosecute and be more aggressive on this stuff on behalf of the consumer under the new consumer protection law. And that's where I think there's still some challenges to go. But listen, um, we've got a whole lot more to cover. So the, it's, it's interesting that this report uh, has dropped uh, at a time when the media market uh, is absolutely tanking. Uh, everyone is feeling the heat. Gay, I think he, the IAB and the PwC come out with its uh, September quarter numbers, which said you the market with digital was uh, what two point three billion now and up was up four percent, was it? So, so year on year for the quarter, total market was six point five, but the area that we're I guess most interested in, the display market, was up four four point nine percent, which compared to a year ago that was eighteen percent. So we've seen a you know even in digital, which we've seen a lot of strong growth. Um, a slowdown across the board. And really the only growth in that broader display bucket is in the video area. If you look at general display, the old spots and dots, that was back 26% year on year. Right. And this is the thing. So looking forward, Group M says that uh, the market, digital media will grow by 5%. O, the out-of-home sector will be up 2.7%. They are the only two media sectors that are in growth. Everyone else is in decline. Christian, you've got some forecasts yourself. But the issue here is, Gay, with your numbers, um, if you unpack that growth rate, my question is, is it only the duopoly? Is it Facebook and Google that is getting that growth and no one else is doing it? Uh, the numbers that came out from WARC earlier in the year, World Advertising Research Centre, put about a 5% growth on digital, uh, but all of that was driven by Google and Facebook. Publishers themselves are back in, in decline. So are we right to assume that it's Google and Facebook that's getting all the growth? There are other players getting growth. They're obviously big players, so they do get them a lot of that growth. But as I said, like video and, you know, you look at the BVOD guys, they're getting growth, but unfortunately the market's so slow in their traditional businesses, it's not necessarily making up that difference. Christian, you've got some views on this. Uh, I do. I think if we take a step back, 2018 is an outlier year. You had five very large uh, one-off events, whether it's state elections, com games, uh, winter Olympics, and it was the culmination of 10 years. So the market's undeniably slow, but let's just say 2018 amplifies how that feels. For year-on-year comparisons. For year-on-year comparisons, yep. which is what everyone looks at. Yep. So I think we talk ourselves down a bit without thinking about where's that base come from. We're not that far off 2017. Right. So, so that's the context we always talk to clients about. Um, I think, is all the growth going to Google and Facebook? A large proportion is. Uh, Gay mentioned BVOD, uh, Think TV numbers, 36% growth. I think that was the number they picked. It's up to 135 mil, 140 mil. You're right, it doesn't compensate for linear TV, but rather than money leaving linear TV and going somewhere else, at least a proportion of that is now being captured by um, those existing companies and a, and a growing amount. 
So for me, it's Google, Facebook, and Bvod is really driving the video market. If you're seven and 10, that's fantastic. Nine have more of a legacy spots and dots digital business to compensate for. Um, but that kind of goes back to what we've talked about here. We're, we're getting bigger and bigger businesses in Australia to compete with Google and Facebook. The part of the consequence there is the the wider ecosystem will suffer, whether it's um, compliance and regulation and the resource required through to ad tech and data, the resource required, um, to the enormous sales teams, to the investment. If you're not a very large scaled business, it is very, very hard. They're very different, uh, almost two speeds within that advertising world at the moment. You talk about the long tail almost, the long tail is in big trouble. The smaller, the smaller end, all smaller publishers, anything that's not large like a nine uh, are in trouble in the next three to f- three years. The long tail, yes. I'd also include the body. Right. If, you, if, you, if you're not in the top 20, it's, it's very hard to bring all of those things together and match what's in the marketplace. I actually think the torso, as we call the body, yeah. um, are in more trouble. The long tail, actually, we see some really interesting little players because they've got more room to move. They've got more room to reinvent. Um, a lot of them doing multiple revenue streams with commerce, et cetera. Mm. Well, I, I guess the thing here, though, is so let's go back to Mark's mm. point on Bvod, and he talked about the, the restraints on uh, uh, data, bringing other these big publishers and the broadcasters bringing in data to compete with Google and Facebook on the segmentation of data uh, user stuff. Um, Bvod, it's $140 million. I mean, Google's probably writing $1, billion on YouTube, right? So it's, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It does. It definitely does, guys. I mean, I'm fascinated with how, you know, BVOD seems to have lined up right at the start of the next decade. No idea how it plays out. But I find it fascinating that in one way, you know, we have to talk about the streaming wars, right? So it's going to be the biggest battle, not just in media, but in the history of marketing in terms of money spent, brands destroyed. You know, it's extraordinary when you look at those 10 or so players lining up globally. And what what makes it interesting from a free-to-air point of view here is they literally line up at the bottom of your TV set. So Nine sits next to Disney now, uh, you know, in the consumer's world as being alternatives. And I think as that begins to, you know, SVOD and BVOD are great terms, but it, they ultimately come down to buttons at the bottom of your smart TV. And so I think what's going to happen, the bad news for free-to-air, is that their relatively poor programming and you know, less funds are going to become all the more apparent as the big global players compete with each other and just get ridiculously good value and good content. That's the bad news. The good news is when you do actually go through nine or seven or ten uh, BVOD experience, it, it is a dramatic step change in how what we once called TV advertising can perform. So these 90-second pods with the countdown are very interesting. I've got no data on it yet, but if you look at how... TV advertising is being experienced in those sort of shorter, um, hopefully eventually more targeted pods. What you're seeing is, I think, you know, a, a, a pretty a pretty great renewal of how TV advertising can work, albeit in a, in a digital world. So I think on the one hand, what you're going to see is SVOD is really going to show up BVOD as being not as good. But because SVOD is almost exclusively ad-free and will remain so, it could well be that the free-to-air channels here have a much lower um, reach going forward. But in terms of advertisable reach and advertising that they can show is targeted now and, and really is having impact, that might well be the feather in their cap. And, and the one data point I would point us to there was in the, in, the, you know, in the final review of the year from, I think it was Oztam data, 
everyone missed the point that Nine's BVOD took nearly half the total viewing, which I thought was very, very influence, very interesting, right? So I think Nine have got their stuff together, and I think it's it'll be interesting to see if they, if the other two can hang on. So Christian, Mark Ritson's essentially saying there that declining audiences are going to increase, they're going to still give an increased rate or more more revenue for the networks, which has been their argument for a long time. And linear, he's saying it looks it looks like it'll transfer across into BVOD because the access to audience is going to be difficult. Uh, you've talked about the cost per click comparison, or co- sorry, cost per completed view comparisons between, you know, Nine came out, Michael Stevenson came out at his upfronts and said, we're taking, we want to get 700 million bucks back from, from the platforms that we've lost. Cost per completed view, we guarantee it, and it's a better... It's a better result than what you get from the platforms. Where do you sit on on all that? A few parts to that. BVOD, I agree with everything Mark has said, that user experience is improving, the data's improving. I think most importantly, TV, despite their um, very aggressive competition, have learned to work together as a channel, which has been effective. The technology within televisions that allows us to understand the connected TV universe is also improving dramatically. So... Does it matter? The number today is small, but it's also three times what it was only two years ago. YouTube didn't matter 10 years ago. So I think BVOD, um, give them credit, they've moved fast. When we talk about those streaming wars, nine have Stan, 10 have all access. Now that's not really launched in this market. They've got to wait for the content to come out of rights so they can take it from CBS and now Viacom. So two of our three free to airs have got those products. I almost see Nine a bit like a Spotify. You've got your paid-for service, which is Stan, and then you've got Nine Now, which is your free. Um, And Nine have taken the NBC content. Fantastic strategic move. It's the first time Nine Now has content that is not being shown on linear TV. It's purely building out that back catalogue of content. And that's, Christian, that's again a key point, right? Because let's be clear what Nine are doing. They're taking NBC content and they're not just sending it to Stan. They're actually using it on BVOD that wouldn't have been transmitted through regular TV services. So it tells you that we're, they're genuinely looking at BVOD now, not just as catch-up TV, but probably the, the main race in their, the main horse in their race down the track. Uh, do you do you share the uh, view from from Mark though, Christian, that BVOD is the white knight for the broadcasters in terms of being able to extract higher rates for less audience? Oh, CPM. Do I think they'll get more money? It depends what they can do with the targeting and the effectiveness, right? Because that's what we're going to look at. And I think also BVOD. What we're really talking about is going from video on demand on your phone or iPad at home because you've mismarried at first sight. I know you're a big fan through to actually connected television. So I'm now watching it again back on the big screen. And to Mark's point, that's where you've got Netflix, who've gone into Barb in the UK, an interesting move because that's only for advertising. Do you think that's a signal for intent, future intent, or what do you, why do you think they're doing that? And Mark, I'll get your view on that too. I don't know why you would do it unless you were looking at advertising at some point in some way. Spot on, spot on. He, that's, that's, you're on fire today, honestly, Christian. <laughs> I think that's, what about me? Well, you're average again, Paul. But, um, <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much. But yeah, Chris, that's a really key point, right? The only reason you go into Barb, which is the equivalent of Oztam here, is you are at least feeling out the advertising uh, potential or you, you, you're demonstrating what you could offer if you were to offer advertising. And let's not forget that Netflix is a disastrous business. Everyone keeps talking about great user interface and amazing content and great value for money, all true. But when you're offering junk debt bonds in order to fund a lot of that, that are all coming, you know, coming ripe down the track, 
the business model isn't that spanky. And and that was before you had the likes of Disney and Apple and Amazon properly having a go at your business. So I think the yeah, the idea that Netflix might be the SVOD that really embraces advertising could really again throw a ratchet into things at the start of the twenties. So look, we are running out of time, but we've got to we've got to cover one more theme, which is Mark Ritson, you just recently fronted an industry wide initiative which is essentially probably uh, an indication of how tough it is out there in the media market all the media companies have got together pooled all their inventory and done a campaign which is called advertising or die now the general sense in the market that i pick up is that the intent strategic intent is well deserved and on the money execution perhaps a little debate around that why mike britson uh, is the industry doing this and, and why are you fronting it I think the campaign's born of three things. Um, I think everyone in media expects a pretty tough year next year, everyone. Business confidence, consumer confidence are going down. Um, and I think there is a real sense among almost everyone that we're going to have a tough time. The second problem is I think that most of the focus on where budgets will be trimmed and cut will be on media that doesn't demonstrate an immediate ROI. And and unfortunately, one of the one of the topics we should at some point debate in a future episode is ROI is is a partially stupid metric and purely looking at what delivers the best ROI uh, actually leads you into the exact wrong place. And the real worry is, you know, some of these media that work much more on the long-term brand building top of funnel area are going to be cut um, in a mistaken attempt to invest in things that quote-unquote, you know, deliver a return. And and then the third factor and the most important one for me is you you really have to be aware of how spectacularly stupid uh, Australian companies are when, when it comes to setting their advertising budgets for the year. So a, a significant proportion, more than 90% would be my guess, use the old-fashioned advertising to sales ratios, which essentially means I'm going to work out how much money I'm going to make next year and then carve out a small proportion of it for advertising based on arbitrary ratios or percentages. And of course, the problem with that is one it teaches senior executives that revenue happens without advertising and therefore advertising is a cost because we work out the revenue first and then we give some back to advertising. And second, these percentages, you know, 8%, 9%, 10% of predicted revenue, completely arbitrary as well. So it's very easy for someone upstairs to ratchet them down by 3% in a mistaken attempt to put some more money to the bottom line. That's where the campaign came from, was an attempt to use advertising to convince advertisers to do more advertising, which is sounds obvious, but hasn't really happened before. And there's literally everyone from the main media uh, involved in it. So it'll be interesting to see how it travels. I think it's 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 the right idea at the right time. So who's it trying to land with, by the way? It's beyond the it's beyond the the, the industry itself. You're trying to get further up the food chain, aren't you? Yeah, we the real goal is to reach the senior executives that make these decisions. Um, in a manner which which convinces them that, that a there are good media out there that that do work, but more importantly that they should be investing across all of them, because short termism is gonna is is gonna hurt them. So yeah, it's this it's those that have an influence, the buying committee, as we would call them in B two B land. You're a wonderful critic sometimes of advertising, Mike Ritson. Will this campaign, will this creative execution land the objectives? I think the work of Sarch is, is fantastic and I am 100% uh, behind it and it's, it's tremendous. Kayla Roy, your thoughts on the campaign? Absolutely perfect intent. I agree in terms of talking to businesses about growth and using advertising to do that is spot on and we need to do more of it. Um, I think we need to go beyond the marketers, as, as Mark sort of said, and get to CFOs, CEOs, boards, etc. I think the execution is unusual. 
Um, I think the fact that a lot of the um, creatives are seemingly bagging digital, which most of these companies have a lot of their future built in, I thought that was an odd strategy. And saying that, many of our members are involved. Um, so, yes, I, I, I was hoping there'd be an overall positive message because I don't think marketers care about channel narkiness. I agree with, with Gay. I think the principle everyone would support it's interesting. You really would have been good to see Google and Facebook as part of that. I, I get Mark's point about uh, we're overweighted to some things, but a broader, more positive message might land better. Well, I just have to say, though, that if Google and Facebook and they're, they're getting their, their stuff anyway, they're getting their more than their lion's share. And this is about maybe uh, the local media trying to do something to say, hey, there is actually a role for us as well. Uh, and, you know, that would be my take. But then I have, I have a bias, don't I, Gay? <laughs> you do, Paul. But look, I think some of the wording, and I think a lot of the domestic guys struggle with the wording on what they're trying to criticise. So when it comes out and the messages are anti and the words are digital advertising, when half their businesses are digital advertising, that's really confusing for the buyer. Mark Ritson, final thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think the intent was to encourage people to spend money, in, in invest money in the media that would build their brands through the long term. And I think, you know, if, if, it has, if it has deviated into some media better than others, I agree with Gay, I think that one of the nice things about the 20s ahead is we've, you know, we've come out of all that nonsense where there is an optimum media. Where, you know, everyone's seen a chart where X media has a better um, effectiveness rate than all the other media, and everyone's got that for every media. So I think clients are aware now not only that there isn't an ideal media, but you have to blend and mix them together. So it's true. If if we go against that message, I think you lose more than you gain if you make that message. So my, it's a long-term campaign. So they are planning on running this right through most of next year. So I hope the focus, and I think the focus, will be on why you need to invest in your brand multi-channel, multimedia consistently. You know what I mean? I think that's the right message. Good. Now, final, final words, Mark Ritson. You have now, poor, you're no longer with Melbourne Business School. Uh, and so what the hell is Mark Ritson doing for 2020 and the 20s? What's going on in your world? I don't know. I don't even know how to build myself. I, after, it's almost exactly 25 years I've been a professor of various flavours. And I resigned this year. I actually, on last Friday, did my last grading report and submitted it. And that was my last act as a professor. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've got various other things I'm doing and I still do a, quite a bit of consulting, but I, I've got an online program that runs globally called the Mini MBA. I won't plug it. Other, other services well, are available. Well, you just did actually, <laughs> but anyway. But we run about, we've got about, thanks mate, we've got about 3,000 marketers going through the program this year and that's been my real joy of the last two or three years and I'm not a real professor anymore, but um, perhaps I never was in the first place. But um, the impact we're having with that course is is where my heart is. So we, we're we're ramping that up now and and doing it around the world. And and it's basically the MBA course without having to in marketing without having to do the rest of the MBA. And we're we're enjoying it and it's working. So yeah, that's what I'll do. And I can do it from home, which with tiny little kids is an amazing thing. From Tasmania, fantastic. Well, all I'll say is all I ask you to do is don't stop going rogue. I know Gay doesn't like you going rogue, but I like you to go. She rogue. loves it. She loves yes. it. Paul. She loves it. Finally, Gay. Yeah. Mark Ritson, you have you do you you have a few challenges about Mark and his positions. Just I'll let you unleash for two seconds. Oh sure. Um, well, I do have some issues with Mark. I thought that last response was quite balanced in terms of. Um, you know, moving beyond the channel channel description. And I actually hope I'm out of a job in five years and digital isn't a term. So I, I agree with him on that element. I think at times um, there's a 
bluntness in terms of which media can build long-term brand impact. And we've done a lot of research and smart marketers and good creative can work in a lot of different environments. So I do worry the nuance of things gets lost in Mark's incredibly entertaining and informative way of communicating. Yeah, well, listen, that, that is fodder. <laughs> There's fodder for another conversation. I will say, though, that without Mike Ritson, we wouldn't have had uh, the, the, the sharp debate we have now that he started two or three years ago. So I, I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, thank you all. Um, Christian Kroon, Gayla Roy, Mark Ritson in Tasmania. Thanks for joining. And we will, um, there's no doubt, there's a lot of fodder to follow up on the new year. Go have a great Christmas. We'll talk. See ya. Thanks, Paul. Merry Christmas. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.